2: Welcome to the Daily Faceoff Show, your everyday source for the latest news with top-notch insight and analysis, live every weekday at noon Eastern.
0: Welcome into a Friday edition of the Daily Faceoff Show. Frank Saravali and Talia Remcheck here to toss you into the weekend the way Trevor Zegres tossed that Michigan goal into the back of the net. Frank, how's it going and how much of a stretch was that open?
3: Yeah, it wasn't very good, but you're improving. At least you're adding a little personality, so I'll take it.
0: It wasn't very good. Story of my life. All right. Anyways, let's jump into it and throw two minutes and 30 seconds up on the clock and start with the biggest story in hockey yesterday. And that's the news that Evander Kane is officially an Edmonton oiler. This is a guy five straight years of a 30 plus goal pace over an 82 game season. He signs a one year deal. The cap hit is just over 2 million. And before we give our take on it, Let's hear what Evander Kane himself had to say at his press conference with the Oilers, talking a little bit about his past and how it could affect his future.
1: I don't, I don't know if I necessarily agree in terms of uh, everywhere I've been, I've left under cloudy circumstances. But um, yeah, there's definitely been different things that have happened uh, throughout the course of uh, certain tenures in certain places. Um, you know there's a lot of guys that play for a lot more teams than just three um so i'm not alone there but uh you know it also goes both ways sometimes you don't want to uh necessarily be in a certain position or, or place and and uh you know it's best for both sides to move on but with edmonton i mean Look, you got two of the best players in the world here. Um, you got—I just had a tour of the facility; phenomenal. Um, you got a guy like Kenny Holland as a GM, an uh, incredibly experienced coach like Dave Tippett. Um, you know, the team is is ripe to to win now, and um, I thought uh, I would be a great fit.
0: It was a question that came from Mark Spector of Sportsnet, and it was about how everywhere he's played, Kane—that is. He's left under cloudy circumstances and Kane kind of disagreed with that sentiment saying plenty of guys have played for more than three teams. My rebuttal, that would be the issue isn't how many teams you've played for Evander Kane. It's how you've left each of those stops. What did you think of the Kane avail today, Frank? And what do you think of this fit with Evander and Edmonton?
3: I mean, what, what has Vander Kane coped to other than the gambling issue that he's had? I, I think that's really the biggest issue for me. And that would be the biggest issue for other NHL teams and, and probably even the Oilers listening and watching to what he's saying is, where's the accountability? There, it always seems to be someone else's problem. There was a long interview with TSN's Kayla Gray that aired on Thursday evening after Vander Kane signed his contract. And... And all I took away from it was everyone else is making it up. People are attacking me, and it's the media's fault. And what I keep coming back to is why is Evander Kane continually in these positions? Why is it that people are saying these things behind his back? Why is it that these allegations are made? Uh, you know, where does it all come from? Where does it all stem from? You know, there was a long discussion in the interview with Kayla Gray about. Uh, you know, Evane being unhappy that information leaked out from his teammates that an assistant coach took his shirt off and tried to fight him. Well, what did you say or do to the assistant coach that caused him to want to try and fight you? These are not normal things that happen over the course of a hockey season, let alone a hockey career. And to have this many allegations in this short a period of time, I think the biggest disservice for the Edmonton Oilers, aside from the fact that they chewed up a lot of cap space more than was required with perhaps a minimum salary signing, is that Evander Kane is off the hook again and that Evander Kane is put in a position where, you know, 48 hours after his contract is terminated, essentially the Edmonton Oilers had stepped up and given him new life. I don't know how a player or person could possibly learn from that when the message continually is no matter what anyone says or does, He's right. And, uh, you know, I think there's just so many questions left to be answered. You know, the shocking thing is, is not that he's back playing in the NHL because he is a talented player. The shocking thing is, you know, how will he get through this season with the Oilers and, and what will the outcome be when it's all said and done?
0: Yeah, and I think that's a great point as well. There was a question later on in the press conference from Ryan Rashog where he was asked again about his past and Kane just kind of dismissed it with a one line answer. And you're right. It didn't feel like there was a lot of accountability coming from Evander Kane's side. We'll see how it plays out. I think everyone can agree on the ice. This is probably going to be a pretty good fit for an Oilers team who could use more scoring depth and Kane is going to push some pieces down that lineup. Still, still
3: 27th in in save percentage. So they haven't addressed that. And, you know, I mean, until they do, uh, I don't know where this team's heading in terms of fixing what ails them.
0: Kane confirmed, along with Ken Holland, that he will play on Saturday. No word yet if he will play in net for the Oilers, which, like you said, is where they probably need the most help. Let's move on to another Canadian team that's struggling a little bit. The Winnipeg Jets, and there was high expectations on this team coming into the season. They're now sixth in the division by both points and points percentage. Frank Saravali, who picked them to win the Cup, promptly raises his hand on the screen. They're five points back of Dallas. No games in hand, Frank. You, you sound in the alarm bell here for Winnipeg?
3: hundred percent. Um, I, I thought at varying points that this team would find a way to dig out. Uh, and I'm really concerned about the comments that we heard from Blake Wheeler after last night's loss. And, and there were a number of different points that raised an eyebrow with me. Uh, one of them saying that in his 14 years in the NHL, this is the most adversity a team has ever dealt with that he's played on. Uh, this is a guy that played in Atlanta. Um, and has played on some teams that have really struggled. Uh, to hear that is concerning. Uh, it makes you wonder what you don't know. Uh, what is happening behind the scenes. You see Paul Maurice's departure. And certainly that's obviously part of it. They've dealt with COVID. They've dealt with injuries. They've dealt with you know, a lot of different things that frankly a lot of other teams have dealt with this season. And, and the other part that I think I'd really pick a bone of contention with would be Blake Wheeler said we have a really young hockey team I don't buy that for one second you could look at the Winnipeg Jets in their fourth line you could look at Cole Perfetti and the action that he's seeing but that team is a ready-made built solidified roster Blake Wheeler Mark Shifley Kyle Connor Andrew Kopp that go down the list Healers, connor hellebuck in net brendan Dillon, nate schmidt josh marcy that's a that's a solidified core that's a team that is uh, you mentioned it i picked them to win the stanley cup this year i thought the improvements that they made on defense the depth that they have up front and one of the top net miners in the league they're on pace for like an 83 or 84 point season it's not near good enough and the math is now becoming daunting for this team to work its way into a playoff spot, and I think it raises a lot more significant questions for General Manager Kevin Cheveldayoff, who hasn't been afraid to sell in the past when his team has not been performing. What do they do? This this team has been built for this window. They this was a year to succeed and, and to get over the hump.
0: Yeah, like they're not a young team, like you said. And not it's not even like they're an inexperienced team. This is a core that has gone on runs and won playoff rounds before. And to sit there and, and say, well, we're young, we're learning. It's it's just false. I just don't buy it at all. So, I mean, the Jets got to figure it out. You saw they're on the standings. They have games in hand on some teams. But yes, that's great because maybe you can make up ground if you get hot. But that also means you have to play more hockey than those other teams in a short amount of time here. It's going to be a condensed schedule for the rest of the season. So Winnipeg's got to get it sorted out fast. Moving along here last night, a high note from the NHL schedule was another beauty from Trevor Zegras pulling off the Michigan in, in a more traditional fashion than the last time we saw him do a scoop play. And uh, I mean, obviously, it has everyone talking, Frank, when something like this happens. We've seen a lot of these goals over the last few years now. Adam Oates was on the DFO rundown with yourself. And Jason Greger and him being, you know, the skills coaching guru from the NHL. It was fair of us to ask him what he thinks of the Michigan. Here was his take on the rundown. The
2: Michigan goal, I am not a fan of. Oh, OK. How come? No, even though it takes a tremendous amount of talent, I would never disagree that it doesn't take. I mean, I couldn't do it at the heat of the moment. I, I couldn't do it. But, but what I don't want guys to do is you've got two teammates out there. So while you're all of a sudden focusing on picking up that puck, you've lost perspective of the other eight guys on the ice right in front of you. So you might've had a teammate open that you could just give a backhand pass to. So like the skill is fantastic. And some of them, I see the guys literally putting their head down to try and trap the puck. Right. Sometimes. Well, the problem with that is what if one of their defenders is coming around the net to get you? So yeah, it's a cool move, but really for me, when I watch guys do it, are you are you losing perspective of, of the play while you're trying to do this Instagram move?
0: Frank, in true DFO rundown fashion, are you buying or selling on Oats's comments?
3: Uh, get this man a job on ESPN because that's actual analysis, John Tortorella. I hope you were watching. None of this talk about this is a hard game and a fast game and we need to keep it that way. That makes actual sense what Adam Oates said. And by the way, he is Trevor Zegers' skills coach. He is uniquely qualified to answer that question. And and I I I appreciate the perspective that he brings uh and not just his his explanation of it because i followed up and and you can listen to the pod honestly one of the truly insightful conversations i've ever had about hockey in in the 15 years that i've worked in this space is you know the things that adam oates brought to the table on on episode 100 of the rundown today and because I, I kind of pushed back, I said, well, what about the vision that Trevor zegris had to see that spot to get to that hole uh, before a defenseman steps in and, and hammers him? There's there's something to be said for that. And certainly there is. But Adam Oates has this thing. And, and he just he talked about it at length in the pod. Uh, his number one goal, yes, is to improve player skill, but it's also to keep players healthy and and keep them safe on the ice. And so he sees this as. You know, not necessarily the best opportunity or option with the puck, which, you know, when you're, you're working through different levels and, and different, uh, you know, variances or nuances of the play, that is, is certainly something to consider. And so, uh, appreciate what Adam Oates brings to the table and, and let's, uh, let's get John Tortorella teed up again on, on what he thinks of Trevor Zegris.
0: Saravali feeling spicy today. Uh, let's. Move by, the on. Way, by
3: the way, by the way, I need I do need to say uh, John Tortorella did throw uh, in some of his analysis yesterday. He blamed it also on the Canadian media and said the Canadian media can kiss my ass. I guess that was a veiled shot at me for some of the um, points that I had made on Twitter and raised over uh, the last number of weeks since he initially said that about Trevor Zegers. But I'm American, so I don't know. Maybe he wasn't talking about me
0: yeah <laughs> yeah uh, frank from philadelphia for those who don't who aren't aware um let's move on to a big night in new york where at msg henrik lundquist will see his number 30 raised up to the rafters and something that i thought was actually pretty cool that i came across online was uh lundquist was on the jimmy fallon show and he had a chance to talk about what this means to him
2: your name is forever i mean yeah you're i know one of 11 rangers to be have their uh, in the history of the Rangers.
1: To have your jersey retired. And that's the thing with the Rangers, they original six team, they always t- uh, taken a lot of pride in their history. And you feel that as a player. You know, you, you come in as a, a young kid from Sweden, 23 years old, and I see all these retired guys come by and they treat them so nicely, and it means something to them the history and and now to be part of that myself it's it's kind of a surreal feeling but i remember the the second photo there i walked up and to check it out where my family's gonna sit my friend's gonna sit and right there was all the banners and that that was a very special moment for me last week
0: a special moment for henrik and boy what a special player he was 15 seasons with the new york rangers 10 straight years to start his career where he had a goals against average below two and a half and a save percentage above nine ten. Frank, I I mean, an incredible goalie, but also a player and he had that charisma where he just felt like the perfect fit in that market as well.
3: 100%. I mean, he was a game changer in in every sense of the word. And not just with his on-ice style, which actually changed the way goaltenders played uh, uh, equipment-wise, style in net, um, also style off the ice. Like, I mean, first off, 100% man crush like what a stud Henrik Lundqvist oh God, is. Are you kidding? Me? Um, man rocket. But um <laughs> I also think, you know, the best Henrik Lundqvist story is is his perseverance. Um I'd love to get Bob Gainey to tell the story at one point, but the Dallas Stars in 2000 drafted his brother in the third round, his twin brother Joel who's a forward, and you know, they're in this, you know, empty building and as the draft is going on and on, You know, Bob Gainey says to his scouts, like, you know, this guy has his twin over here. Like, he looks so sad in the stands. Like, no one's picked him at this point. You know, teams, you know, back then especially didn't really pay as much attention to their late round draft picks. It was just like, pick a guy you semi kind of like, take a flyer on him. The draft had more rounds then. And he kept saying to the stars, like, you know, his scouts, should we just to be nice? It'd be a nice little story. We get both twins. Like, maybe we should do it. Joel, of course, plays parts of three seasons in the NHL, has a magnificent career in Europe. Henrik Lundqvist comes over, seventh-round pick, 21 goalies were picked before him and now has his rafter his jersey number hanging in the rafters of the world's most famous roof and famous arena uh just an incredible story and i think a true pioneer in terms of how he played the position his competitiveness um you know the only thing really missing is that stanley cup and, and he tried so many years in a row to will the rangers there just falling a little bit short
0: Yeah, it was an incredible career. Going to be an incredible night at Madison Square Garden. His number 30 will live forever up in the famous rafters at MSG. Let's circle back to what we started the show with Evander Kane. We're going to get some more analysis from one of our newest teammates here at Daily Faceoff, Chris Gear, the former Vancouver Canucks AGM.
3: That's right. Pleased to welcome in former Vancouver Canucks assistant general manager Chris Gere to the show. He also served as the team's chief legal officer. So love to get his analysis delivered by DoorDash on where this leaves Vander Kane with regards to his grievance that has been filed with the San Jose Sharks uh, by the NHL Players Association for wrongful contract termination. And so, Chris, I guess we'll start here. There seemed to be a lot of confusion yesterday. The NHL completes their independent investigation and did not conclusively find evidence that Kane violated COVID or border protocol, warranting a suspension. So if that's the case, why didn't we see Evander Kane then back under contract with the Sharks instead of signing with the Oilers? I think a lot of fans are like, what's going on here?
1: Right. I think the thing that people need to remember is that there are two independent processes going on simultaneously, or there were. So the NHL investigation was, again, separate and apart from the grievance that is currently ongoing between uh, the NHLPA on Kane's behalf against the San Jose Sharks. So the NHL concluded its investigation uh, with the independent third-party law firm that they retained out of New York. Uh, What they Their statement said that they had insufficient evidence uh, to determine that Kane had knowingly misrepresented the circumstances around his international travel. So not a definitive statement by any stretch, but uh, the NHL saying that there was not enough there for them to proceed with a suspension of Kane. Now, that doesn't completely resolve the matter because the grievance which relates to the termination of the contract with three and a half years and over 22 million remaining is still outstanding. And the two processes really don't intersect. So the arbitrator won't be bound by the findings of the NHL's independent investigator and and that, that process will unfold on its own.
0: Chris, if we could maybe just get a little bit deeper into that. I mean, a lot of fans are sitting there and going, okay, if you could terminate the contract, but you couldn't suspend him, like for for someone like me, I just sit there, I go, how how can that be connected? So does this lack of findings, will it potentially help Kane's camp in, in this grievance case?
1: Yeah, I think it does help Kane, but it's certainly not fully determinative. So the NHL, every NHL standard player contract has provisions around conduct. And it says that a player must, uh, uphold the standard of conduct that is of the highest uh, you know, moral and character, I, I can't remember the exact wording, uh, also says they can't act in a manner that's detrimental to the team, the league, or the sport of hockey in general. So it's a, it's a threshold that's up for interpretation. And when an arbitrator is looking at whether that standard was breached, they're going to look at Kane's conduct in its entirety with the Sharks. And the Sharks will put forward whatever they think fits their narrative that he did breach that contract. So that will include the conduct that uh, he was already suspended for earlier this season, which was the uh, doctoring of his vaccine passport. Uh, And the NHL did suspend him for 21 games earlier this season for that conduct. So the arbitrator could look at that in and of itself and find that that is sufficient for a termination. Or the arbitrator can look at that along with anything else the Sharks put forward as evidence, which may very well include this international travel violation, even though the NHL investigators have found that there wasn't enough grounds for a suspension, they may look at that, add that to the totality of what the Sharks are putting forward and say, you know what? Kane hasn't met the threshold of conduct that's expected of a standard players contract.
0: Chris, being in Edmonton here, a lot of fans, you know, when the the debate was happening about should the Oilers sign him, should they not? A lot of people said, oh, can they just put a clause in there that you know, if he acts up in the room, if he's a problem in the room, they can terminate the deal. You mentioned that there is wording in an NHL contract about conduct. Is that generic and kind of just across the board on every contract or can teams make it unique to players?
1: No, that that wording is pre-agreed by the NHL and the NHL Players Association and embedded in the standard form that is appended to the CBA. So every player has that conduct provision in it. Now, you know the threshold hasn't been tested very much, and we've talked previously about other cases, be it you know Mike Richards or Slava Voinov or uh, Brendan Leipzig, Jake and all players that have had their contracts terminated, and then uh, you know they haven't gone on to have an arbitration hearing to to have somebody definitively say what standard of conduct does breach that provision. Uh, in most cases, either the player doesn't. Uh, grieve the termination or the two parties reach a settlement. And I've indicated that that I think there's a really strong chance that the, the two sides reach a settlement here before it goes to an arbitration hearing, because the consequences on either side of being wrong uh, are pretty disastrous. So if the sharks are wrong, they're going to be on the hook to pay Kane the the balance of that money, 22 plus million dollars. Uh, and they'll have cap consequences for the, the balance of that time. Uh, if if Kane's wrong and and there really was grounds to terminate, he gets nothing. Obviously, he's moved on. He's now a member of the Oilers and he'll get the money they're paying him. But, um, you know, it's risky for both sides. So I I see a settlement coming here.
3: Yeah, because of that all or nothing scenario that makes sense in terms of a settlement. My question to you, Chris, is... Other teams are watching. They're always curious about precedent. So if there's a team that has a player that they may not like or or believes fits in, or you know certainly isn't playing up to his cap hit, and would like to try and wiggle out of the contract, are teams watching this? And could they potentially be emboldened by you know this nature where oh hey you know you you terminate the contract and then you battle it out in settlement, and you know provided that you just settle. No matter what, it's better than the cap that you were going to pay, or the total dollars that you were going to pay, and it becomes a win regardless. Is there a potential consequence or or precedent-setting you know idea here that could you know certainly come back to to bite either side uh, moving forward?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think it's possible that the teams might feel emboldened to try to do that, but if the grounds you're going to rely upon are tenuous, then. The NHLPA will will take it to the mat and not settle, and then you'll face you know not only full payment of the contract, but probably penalties and and cap charges that may end up costing you more than if you just you know waive the player and, and put them in your AHL affiliate and at least save some cap space that way. So you know I, I think unless you've got a really strong case to terminate, the way the Sharks obviously felt that they did, uh, I don't know that teams are going to risk terminating simply to try to broker a settlement. I, I think you'd have to feel that your case was pretty strong, that, that should it go to a hearing, you could get it done. So I, I think where teams are, will be more emboldened is if the Sharks, if this actually does proceed to a hearing and the Sharks are successful, uh, and that starts to establish a bit of a base for what does constitute uh, grounds for breach of contract. And then teams will look at that And if, if they have players who've done something similar, they'll, they'll be more likely to, to go that route for sure.
3: Yeah. I think it's important to remind everyone that there's probably a lot here that details wise that we don't know that we haven't seen that maybe the Sharks haven't even revealed to anyone, maybe except for the league or maybe even the Kane camp that could be part of this process that unfolds behind the scenes. So, uh, important to keep an open mind on that front and, uh, and we'll see how this all develops. Chris Gere, uh, former Vancouver Canucks Assistant General Manager and Chief Legal Officer, uh, really appreciate your analysis. You can head to dailyfaceoff.com for the full scope of what Chris has written and the details that he's provided on dailyfaceoff.com. Chris, thanks so much. This has been Chris Gear pre- delivered by DoorDash.
0: All right, moving along on the Daily Faceoff Show to our inbox question. Hashtag ask DFO. And this one comes into us from a St. Louis Blues fan, Frank. So we can flash it up here from Chris at Beer League Selkie, Hell of a handle as well. And I want to stick with the first part of this question where he goes, should the Blues use Husso in a trade to acquire assets to upgrade the D or with the compact schedule and the recent performances of both goalies, should they hold on to him knowing they'll need him for the regular season and maybe playoffs? What should the Blues do with Villejuso, Frank?
3: I think they should keep him. First off, uh, Craig Berube likes to ride the hot hand, and that's certainly what Billy Husso has been. Another win uh, that he picks up this week, he's been lights out. You look at his numbers here, 945 save percentage this season. Such a bargain contract. I could see why teams would be interested in and potentially why the St. Louis Blues would be tempted to but I, I think when you get to this point in the season, COVID injuries, everything else that's unfolded, teams have needed two net minders more than ever. And I know Mike McKenna, our goaltending guru, has made the point that Charlie Lindgren, also in the blue system, he's like the one third goalie that really uh, you know is potentially open for an NHL look as as to move up the depth chart as a number two guy. It just feels a little bit premature. Uh, these runs come and go throughout the course of a season. Yes, Jordan Binnington On one previously. They're clearly confident in Bennington in the first year of his six year deal. Uh, But, you know, I think you need two goalies at a minimum in this league and, and two goalies that you can really feel comfortable with. And for a team that has legitimate Stanley Cup aspirations like the Blues, I don't know that you want to put yourself in a position where you're vulnerable.
0: I think it all depends on what they'll get. And I think the big key here is that he's a UFA at the end of the year, not an RFA. And at 26 years old, if Huso's sitting there going, hey guys, I want to play somewhere next year, I want a chance to be a number one. And he go, and he, if the Blues think he's going to walk and maybe a team like the Oilers or like someone else who needs a goalie sits there and throws you a second round pick. Maybe if you're St. Louis, you can go, you know what? That second round pick, flip it for something we actually need right now. And let's take a fifth round or go get someone like Anton Forsberg or another cheaper vet on the market. I actually think they, they would be wise to at least explore the possibility of what a guy like Huso could get on the market simply Never because heard. he is a UFA. Yeah. Um, let's keep moving along to our daily best bet segment. We are going to totally ignore the fact that I was wrong again last I night at this you. point. I know. I know. I could the Blue Jackets, you, you never dart.
3: bet against you never bet against a <laughs> team that just got curb stomped uh, the night before when <laughs> they play again. There, there's motivation there. Uh, they you rarely yeah. see a team roll over twice in a row.
0: An instance where the hockey sense definitely was correct and the numbers maybe not so much uh, but let's jump into what i got today three plays on a friday in the nhl starting with that top matchup between the colorado avalanche and the chicago blackhawks where the AVs are paying out plus 125 on the puck line it's actually been pretty rare as of late that we get the AVs at plus money on the puck line considering they've won eight in a row they also beat chicago earlier this week and, you know, no Nathan McKinnon is a little bit worrisome, but they won games without Nate earlier in the year. So I am going to roll with Colorado on the puck line. Simply put, Chicago has one win in their last five. Colorado's red hot. I think they can keep rolling in this hockey game. Up next, I'm sticking with a puck line pick, and I'm taking the Bruins to beat the Coyotes. At first, I kind of thought, ah, you know, the Coyotes have been surprising some teams as of late. Maybe I stay away from this matchup, but I have determined it is a good day to make some money off the Arizona Coyotes because they're expected to be going with Scott Wedgwood between the pipes, and they've won just one of his last five starts, and he's allowed 22 goals in his last five starts as well. The Bruins are 10 3 and 1 in January. They're rolling with an average goal differential of 1.86 this month. I like Boston to win this game by two or more. And to wrap things up with my player prop, I'm going with a Brian Rust assist. I bet on this one about a week ago. To get a point, he's minus 250. There's no value there. To get an assist, he's minus 110, and that's where I like it. He's hit this in four of his last five, he has seven assists in that span. He's hit it in seven of his last 10 as well. He's checked, a, he checks a lot of the boxes that I look for in a player prop and they're going up against a Red Wings team that's allowed 19 goals against in their last four games. Pittsburgh lost last night to Seattle. I think they'll be motivated and I think Rust can pick up an assist in their matchup against the Wings tonight. So there you go, Frank. Avs money line, Bruins money line, Rust apple. Those are my three plays. And, uh, now you got a little garbage time to wrap things up.
3: Yeah, love to see it. Um, we'll see if you can get back on track uh, for, you know, one thing that's caught my eye and I've really been curious about this story really since 2015 when news broke and it was Daryl Sidor, uh, an assistant coach with the Minnesota Wild then, and he was arrested for a DWI with a point Three zero blood alcohol level, four times the legal limit. It was 5 15 p.m. on a Thursday afternoon. And you know, you wonder how something like that could spiral out of control. The dash cam footage uh, that was you know widely publicized in the media heartbreaking his 12 year old son was in the car he kept apologizing uh they were lost on their way to the hockey tournament he was swerving in and out of traffic it was really tough to watch and i've been curious about his story because this is one of the game's great players two-time all-star two-time stanley cup champion a borderline hall of famer first round pick Someone that you think has everything going for him. And he did a really insightful and revealing podcast, just honest and raw with Corey Hirsch, former NHL NetMinder. It's called Blindsided. Find it because he talks about not just his struggle with alcohol, but also his struggle with uh, anorexia as well, an eating disorder that he suffered through for most of his career. He used to weigh himself five or six times a day. His nickname uh, growing up was Fat Kid Sid. you know, I think it's just another reminder for all of us. You think someone that's made millions of dollars and has achieved you know, the pinnacle of, of career and sport, that they have everything going for them and everything's perfect. And I think another reminder for all of us as we head into the weekend, just be kind. You never know what someone's dealing with. So uh, really appreciate Daryl Sodor stepping aside and revealing a bit about himself. If you haven't listened to it, Blindsided is the name of the podcast. Find it wherever you get yours.
0: Fantastic stuff, Frank. And yeah, as we often do in the garbage time segment, sharing something that's not garbage at all and, and a really important lesson to remember as we head into a weekend. And I hope it's a good one for you. I hope it's a good one for everyone watching along. Thanks for tuning in this week to the Daily Face Off Show. If you missed a show, remember it is available on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts from. Have a great weekend. We'll be back on Monday.
2: Thanks for watching the Daily Face Off Show. Make sure you hit subscribe on our YouTube channel to never miss an episode.